Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hello, folks. Today, we will be speaking to Martin Lim, the Chief Operations Officer at Electrify an electricity marketplace connecting individuals and businesses directly to electricity retailers in Southeast Asia. Martin has over 20 years of experience in mass communications, startups, and business development in the Southeast Asia region. His interests in energy and water led him to co-found a company to develop water treatment systems for disaster relief in the region. Identifying a gap in the market, Martin and his business partner Julius developed Electrify with the aim of bringing the e-commerce concept to the market for electricity plants. Electrify with the token name ELEC, E-L-E-C, just completed a very, very successful ICO raising 30 million US dollars to develop a smart contract electricity marketplace 2.0. Welcome to the show, Martin, and congratulations and on a successful ICO. Thank you very much, Tushar. Um, yeah, thanks very much. The, the whole team put in a lot of work and um, I think the results speak for themselves. But thank you. Thank you very much. So before we dive into the problem that you and Electrify are solving, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you've held very, very diverse roles over the last 20 years, from, from creative to sales to strategy and operations across multiple industries. How did you end up in the energy space and, and specifically electricity? Well, that's a good one. Um, I started my career in creative work and I found over the years that the ability to think outside of the box was very useful in other areas like strategy, for example, because not all solutions or not all implementations could be easily solved. Um, along the way, I found more and more interest in wanting to do more good. Uh, I know it sounds terribly corny, uh, but that's the, how, we, how I ended up in, in a similar space like water, for example. Um, we felt that, or rather I felt that I wanted to be in a position where I could impact the most number of people. And I realized that by to do so, we had to get into a space where you're affecting the fundamental layer of how they consume a bare necessity. Things like water, things like electricity. Uh, you'd be surprised though, a lot of us uh, in more developed cities and so on, we, we, we take a lot of these functions for granted, uh, the ability to get water, the ability to get power. But in a lot of other communities, uh, it's, it's, it's not to be taken for granted. It's something very, very serious. And these issues have been politicized in many parts of the world. And I think we all have to do our part to change that, to at least affect it, and to actually improve people's lives. We do definitely take, take a lot of the things that we get uh for granted, especially in, in developed cities. Um, to give our listeners more context about, you know, the industry that you're uh, disrupting, and this is something you mentioned in your white paper as well. Could you talk a little bit more about the transition of electricity being a heavily regulated industry to a more liberalized one? Mm, definitely. You find that in a lot of the more mature cities, uh, countries, and so on, what's happened is basically the government's 
reach a point where they decide to start liberalizing essential services. In, for example, the Singapore context, um, this was in the late 1990s. Um, Singapore started liberalizing a great deal of the transportation services the, 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 and power and so on. Uh, in Singapore, we started liberalizing our power grid back in 2000, 2001. And you see that happening around the same time frame for a lot of other cities around the world as well. Uh, places like the UK, out of Europe, um, Australia, for example, they've been liberalized for many, many years, almost a decade in fact. So what's happened in these cities really is that the government's chosen to take a path whereby the maintenance of these essential services um, is passed on to commercial interests whereby companies, uh, big and small investors could come in and say, hey, look, you know what, we'll, we'll take on some of these, we'll run these like a commercial interest and we'll take on the maintenance and the support of these. And everywhere around the world, you find that there are benefits to, to these systems. Uh, granted, it's not a perfect system, uh, but there are benefits, benefits in so far as uh, competition, for example. With increased competition, what you'd expect is that price should come down. You should have better services. You should have a better range of services and more diversity. And I think that's a good thing for consumers on the whole. So that kind of a shift happens in most mature markets. And uh, what we're expecting to see in the near future, in the next uh, five years or so, you'll find more and more markets out of Asia heading down into that direction. Um, after Singapore, for example, the next market we're looking to see liberalized is the Philippines. Um, Japan itself liberalized about a year and a half to two years ago, and that's also a huge opportunity for us. So, yeah. Okay, so, so we're actually moving from a place where electricity generation uh, used to be in one source, there used to be one distributor, and, and we're moving to a place where there are multiple electricity generation sources and multiple retailers or distributors of electricity. And so essentially, consumers have greater options, and, and that's where you come in, right? Um, I understand that... Um, that Electrify is already a running business. Uh, uh, you've already helped businesses save more than $700,000 for your, for your clients. Um, how, how does, I mean, for the benefit of our listeners as well, how does Electrify work currently? What, what are the steps involved if um, a business or an individual wants to sign up today? Certainly. I think to, to address that, first off, you have to address what exactly does a liberalized market mean or deregulated market. Uh, I mean, deregulated market, you realize the entire value chain uh, for energy. So on the one extreme end, the source of it is the generation end. Um, in the case of uh, all these markets, you have a series of um, power stations, for example. So all these power stations, they may be individual companies each. So each of these has become liberalized and they're all privately owned. Then there's, of course, the grid, uh, what's referred to as a transmission and distribution network. Um, that's all the cables underground, that's all the, the substations, the transformers and so on, all the hardware that delivers the power to the consumer. In some markets like Australia, for example, the, the grid itself has been liberalized, it's privatized. Um, so much so that within a city, you may have uh, more than one grid operator. Um, in the case of Singapore, the grid is still owned and maintained by uh, SP, uh, Singapore Power, which is a privately held company, but it's a government-linked company. Um, so these are the various aspects of it. At the other extreme end of the supply chain, you'd have the distributors and the retailers um, and the wholesale market, of course. So in a centralized market, 
many of the entities on the downstream end, where the wholesale distribution and so on, they need not exist because there is no such capacity. Everyone will just buy from a central regulator or the government. But once the market has liberalized, you'd have all these wholesalers and retailers for power. Uh, and there's a settlement process. So what happens in a grid and where we come in is really simple. The grid delivers power to the homes and that's a given function. So we as electrify or even as retailers, retailers do not come in and mess with the hardware per se. So what Electrify does essentially is we bridge the gap between a retailer and the consumer. And that's important because in a liberalized, newly liberalized market like Singapore, for example, we realized that there wasn't a lot of transparency. Not everyone was aware that the market was liberalized and there was a problem because it was such a newly liberalized market. But subsequently, the ones that did know about it were not aware of all the options they had. The market in Singapore had 27 retailers for a very small city. Out of a market like Japan, for example, there are like over 400 retailers. So in order for one consumer to be able to find all his choices and options, it's rather difficult. Um, he'd have to make a lot of calls, a lot of contacts and so on. Uh, whereas with a marketplace, you have a single point of engagement whereby you'd be able to find all the choices you'd need. Uh, what we, do, what we, did, we did for the market was that we developed a search engine with a pricing uh, engine on the back of that. So what happens is that a consumer could come to our site, enter his consumption details, just a few simple fields, and out of that, we generate a list of prices for, for power plans that will fit his level of consumption. And that's what we brought to the market first. What we're doing next is to actually bring all of these electricity contracts that we offer to customers and bring them onto the blockchain itself. And there, in that process, in the use of smart contracts, be able to derive even more savings. Um, just very quickly to address what you, you asked again, I, I, I'm sorry for meandering, but you asked where the savings actually came from. What happens in a liberalized market really is this. Uh, at the retail level, retailers are able to determine the price of power for themselves. They will buy power from a wholesale market and they're settled at a universal price, a wholesale price. In Singapore, it's referred to as the USEP, the universal Singapore electricity price. At that wholesale price, retailers just need to do a slight markup and they have enough margins to cover their business. Um, if you're buying from the state regulatory body, for example, there could be a different set of calculations to derive the price only because the state would be bearing the cost of the infrastructure itself. So the expectation really is that when you have a deregulated market and dealing with private retailers, the price should be lower. And that's how we express those savings to consumers. Right, right. Uh, so, you, so somewhere there you had mentioned about uh, smart contracts. So what I want to do is kind of switch gears and move on from talking about uh, the industry as well as Electrify to, to sort of a more personal question. So I want to move on to your journey uh, within the blockchain space. When, when did you first hear about cryptocurrencies uh, and blockchain? And when did you exactly figure that blockchain and smart contracts could actually be used on your platform? Well, this was uh, probably about maybe eight, six to eight months ago. Uh, it, it's really short. Uh, so what happened really was this. 
we founded our business back in March. Uh, we launched the business within four months. We did a media launch, a full public launch in July last year. Uh, within a short time, we were decent. We were breaking even on the business. And we started then exploring how we could express more savings and more efficiencies in the system itself. So we started exploring more technologies. We started looking at a series of um, centralized solutions, trying to figure out, for example, if we rejig the architecture within our system itself, could we realize better savings or better efficiencies for our clients, for our consumers, and for our retailers? And we, we kept running to a brick wall because the problem was that with a centralized system, everyone's dependent on a single source of operation. Uh, everyone's dependent on our architecture. And then we realized that that really was how the whole industry was. We met a number of other players from overseas, um, great software solutions, uh, but again, all centralized systems, they all were selling the license to one piece of software, for example. And we realized that that wasn't exactly the best way to go because you've got to understand in the, in the power industry, all the sellers, all the providers are selling essentially electricity, right? It's, it's, it's very commoditized. For it to be differentiated, it's rather difficult. So what happens then is that everyone competes very aggressively on pricing. When they, agree, they compete aggressively on pricing, what happens next is that they end up being very private, very guarded about the prices that they are able to generate, the prices at which they project. So that degree of uh, protection of secrecy, the degree of, of, of privatization just wasn't there. So as we explore the technology, we realize that blockchain represented a very, very big leap forward, purely decentralized and with the cryptography built in, we could actually protect the data that would come from the energy providers while still being able to process it. And being decentralized the way it was, right? We also realized when we start understanding more and more about smart contracts, I mean, honestly, it, it, it was really impressive what smart contracts would do in that the smart contract could take all our working terms and conditions within a natural language contract and execute that within the digital framework. And that was very, very powerful because by being able to do so, we no longer need or demand human beings or big centralized infrastructure to process these same uh, conditions. So for example, in the course of a power bill, for instance, just understanding that certain conditions are met, powers delivered within a certain time frame uh, at a certain price, given certain market conditions, the smart contract could execute by itself. That would demonstrate a huge savings to the system as opposed to the current system whereby you quite literally have human beings looking through spreadsheets, calculating it through tables. Uh, and, and you'd think that this, this was would be really, really old school, but it's still being executed today. I just had a chat with... Um, with someone out of Australia and we're talking about how some of the retailers are doing their settlement and it's, it's quite literally that they still literally have human beings staring at spreadsheets doing calculations to extract a final sum to be put into an invoice to be billed and someone's got to go collect that bill whether that bill is being made through a credit card or online it takes people and centralized systems to collect all of these and all of these functions can be collapsed into what a smart contract can do. That's where the huge savings would be. You can imagine this, right? You're talking about millions and millions of dollars uh, in 
capital expenditure for the software infrastructure, everything from the CRM right through to the billing system, the rating engines, right down to the legal teams, the finance teams, the, the human beings needed to just push paper around, so to speak. So that's where all these savings are. And we realized that we could do all of this through the blockchain, through, through smart contracts. That was the turning point. And that's when we decided that this has got to be the way to move forward and this is the future of things. Yeah, I think I think it you know the use of Excel and and uh, other dated technology still happens in in all industries. I mean, I was a consultant to the banking industry in my most recent role, and the amount of Excel that is used uh, is is quite shocking to be honest. Um, yes. But this is where your token comes in as well, right? Elec, uh, could you could you mm -hmm. elaborate a little bit on the role of your token in the ecosystem? Yeah, certainly. So when we looked at the, so when we first started the, the, the whole journey to developing a blockchain solution, we realized we needed a token of some kind. Um, of course, the, the, the common sense thing, and everyone asks this, is why couldn't you have done this with Ether? So we start exploring that as well. And we realized there are several issues. We studied a lot of the white papers from a number of the other energy companies. And we realized one big problem was this. A number of other businesses describe the ability to settle the price of power in their own token. Um, we did our own calculations and we found that to be problematic. Um, maybe the circumstances within their jurisdictions or their geographies were different. But when we did our calculations against several different jurisdictions, we realized the problem really was this. The price of power varies in every single country. Um, because of lots of factors, the, the cost of fuel, the cost of labor, the cost of, uh, of capitalization uh, within each country, the cost of distribution is different. So the price of power per kilowatt hour, the, the, one of the basic units, right, varies from country to country. So we couldn't easily take a single currency, uh, like our token, for example, and use it for settlement. So what we did initially was to design a dual token system uh, and what it, how it works really is really, really simple. What it does essentially is we tokenize a local currency. And so you settle your payment in your local currency. If you are in Singapore, you settle in Sing dollars. If you're in Japan, you settle in yen. If you're in Australia, Australian dollars, and so on and so forth. Where the elect token comes in, it's purely to be used to facilitate transactions on the network. So if you can imagine this, for example, think of the elect token as as the fee paid to an interchange. Uh, everyone's familiar with, uh, for example, Visa and Master. Um, every credit card transaction, you pay a certain fee, 2 3%, maybe even more perhaps. Um, so that fee is where the elect token comes in. Uh, so the simple metaphor for that is an interchange. A uh, simple use case for that really is like what happens now with the Ethereum network. You're transferring Ethers, for example, you pay a fee in gas fees. So think of the gas fees as what the elect token is going to be used for. And then that's basically what we do. Um, the elect token used in those transaction fees, we're expecting the fees to be a very, very low sum. So being able to transact on the network should realize a lot of savings apart from just operational costs. Uh, there should be a lot of savings for the retailer as well as for the consumer too. Okay. So what do you think are the top two to three challenges that you're going to face going forward, especially moving into the implementation phase? Top two to three challenges. Um, 
I think the first challenge, more than anything else, is, is education. Uh, the people need to be informed. We've seen this uh, in our core business itself in the last year. Um, the people need to know that there's liberalization before they can actually wrap their heads around liberalization and what the benefits are. Um, the second thing really would be that people need to understand that, how do I put this? Um, this fundamentally comes, comes to, 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 it addresses a point about disruption, right? Um, everyone assumes that a new technology uh, will be disruptive. And we've had that word thrown at us uh, multiple times. But what we've always positioned ourselves is that we're not so much disruptive as we are inclusive. Because I think the fundamental basis for blockchain when it was developed was the idea of inclusion, not exclusion. A centralized system excludes. It's you play with me or else. But a blockchain works to include everyone into the system. And that's exactly what we're doing. So along those lines, we're talking to players at different size sizes. Uh, we're talking to very large power companies. We're talking to very small new startups. And each one of these players that have come to us to discuss this, they've realized that there is a space for them within an Electrify um, ecosystem that our platform can work for them. Because what we developed is basically a settlement system that works across an entire city grid. Um, so regardless of what size you are, you're a big player or a small player, you can integrate. And that is also a challenge because we try to explain to everyone how this new protocol or this new platform could work. So education is one. Two, the idea of being inclusive and not so much disruptive. That's also a challenge because we get a lot of pushback on occasion uh, from certain players who assume uh, incorrectly that we are there to disrupt or displace them. And, and we're not. We're absolutely not. We're there to include them. Um, the third challenge, I think, really would be regulation. And we'd be very mindful of this since the inception of our, our business, where the law of the land stands, obviously, and we respect that. We will work with the regulators to find a way to make the system work. Because not all markets are regulated in the same degree. Uh, not all markets will have the same market participation rules. Certain markets may require certain form of licensing, for example. And if that occurs, then fine, then we'll comply. Then we'll, we'll figure out how we can, can work with the regulators or work with a local player to express and abide by these rules. Yeah, I think uh, you made a good point about education. I think uh, I think that is something that we're we at Decrypt Asia are trying to do as well, you know, trying to educate um, anyone who wants to get involved uh, about blockchain as well as uh, as well as cryptocurrencies i know that you were talking it about it more from a from a from your platform perspective in terms of education but i think there's a general need uh, for education in this uh, industry there's a lot lot of uh, fud that's been uh, that's been going around i just want to make a point about that i mean i I love, I absolutely love the fact that, that you, you're on an education platform and I love that you're able to express it that way, that people need to be educated about this. But out of that, there is a great deal of irony. It's something that I discuss uh, quite a bit with some of the members of my team. The idea really is, is that I think for, 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 for blockchain, for blockchain to become absolutely pervasive, to, to infiltrate to every layer of of, of society and, and actually do a lot of good 
Um, the irony, I think, really is that education may not be the way to drive it forward. Awareness, yes, certainly. But I think for, for blockchain to be absolutely pervasive, the use cases for blockchain need to be absolutely, and I hesitate at this word because I know it's got certain connotations, but I, I, I feel it's the right word to use. I think the word is mundane. Um, that blockchain has got to be mundane. Mundane in so far as it's got to be absolutely dead boring where people will use it and not think about it. For example, for example, um, internet technology. How many times do people bother to think about HTTP and internet protocol when they send out their emails or they, they work on a chat or they, they serve a page or, or they, they're, they're using e-commerce? They don't think about any of these. And I think that for blockchain to be pervasive and for blockchain to be wholly widespread, it needs to become something like this. It needs to disappear into the shadows. And, and the irony of it all is that once it disappears into the shadows, people don't really need to be educated about it. They just know it's there. They've heard of it. They've wondered about it, but they just use it. I, I absolutely agree, 100%. Uh, th that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I, I am sure anyone using Facebook today or Amazon today uh, doesn't understand a hundred percent all of that work or the different protocols that you mentioned um, that that go into it. Or even you know while sending an email, the amount of uh, you know code that is gone into it. You know today you're just sending an email and and you don't have to think about all the you know the back or whatever's happening in the, in the back end. So I think. Uh, that, that is a very, very interesting point. Um, so you've obviously complete, completed a very, very successful ICO. You know, do you have any advice for you know, some, you know, anyone who's trying to do their own ICO? Uh, any any points of learning that you would want to share? Would you would you want to do anything differently? Well, um, yeah, I, I would, I'd love to share. Um, I think the, the first and most important thing is to to definitely respect the community. Um, we, we've, we've had a great, great community. We refer to them as the tribe, Electrify Tribe. Um, you can find them on Telegram, Electrify Asia. But what's incredible is that this tribe has supported us for, for all these months. Uh, some of the members have been there from the very beginning. I think that's incredibly important because the tribe is a, is, is a group of people that will support the project and they will do everything they can to actually promote, support, and get the word out there. And this is incredibly important because this the difference is that this tribe, this group, this community is organic. Uh, we, we, we didn't pay for advertising. We didn't do any kind of shilling along those lines. We, we didn't do ads in, in Google, Facebook, and what have you. Um, and, and that's actually very, very important, I feel. Um, in the course of ICO, we've had a lot of um, different groups of people that approached us claiming to be ICO consultants. And they almost down to the last one of them, every last one of them, touted, how much they could reach people through advertising, through new content generation, through bounty programs and so on. While I'm sure there's, there's a space for all these activities, I think 
a good project, a good ICO ought to be able to balance it carefully. Um, the growth has got to be organic. If it's a paid attendance into your groups, there is little loyalty. It, it's very much like fighting a war. If, if you're buying mercenaries, there is no loyalty. If you're having people who actually will support your project out of the love they have for it or the belief they have for it, if you actually have a cause, then these people will, well, in, in quotes, obviously, um, these people in quotes will, will, will die for you. And, and that's incredibly powerful. And, and we're humbled and we're touched that we managed to uh, get a lot of these followers. And what we did to, to achieve that really was just through sheer hard work. Um, I remember the very early days when we first had our Telegram. Um, it was really painful to watch when you had certain people pop in and they'd be like, oh, you've only got so few members, you can't go very far. And they quit. You know, trolls like that. Um, but our group's grown from strength to strength. Uh, I mean, it's helped a lot that we, we actually get out in public and we talk to people. But that's, I think, the, one of the most important things. Um, the next thing really is uh, a bit of a concern is that um, the, the idea of bonuses, I think I, I want to speak on that for a second because our ICO, we had some great advice from an advisor. We had uh, Jun Hasegawa from Omisego uh, who advised us. And our advisors gave us great advice. And one of the key things really was that you do not pay out a bonus. And at first we struggled to understand why because you, you need to realize we were learning the ICOs by looking at other people and how they were doing it. And when the advice came down to avoid bonuses, we, we tried to understand why. And the more we thought about it, the more it was explained to us, it made a great deal of sense. Because the people that you want to support the project would contribute to support the project. The ones who come in and on the grounds that, wow, they're getting like um, unreasonable or huge amount of bonuses, for example, they're not there for you. They're really there just for the token. And what happens to you, they don't give a damn. And, and that's really, really painful. We, we took a lot of effort, even in our pre-sale, to choose investors or rather contributors who were interested in the project. We, we, we actually had communicated with them. We spoke with them. We wanted to understand what their contribution to the project would be, uh, what they would do to help us promote the project, whether it's a commercial arrangement, whether it's uh, to generate content on our behalf for the purposes of the ICO, or to basically help us rally the, the community. And that was very, very important. Uh, and that's something that Electrify did from the very start. We, we had, since the beginning, we had turned down seed investment, for example, just on the basis of money, uh, because we realized that we're not in this purely for the money. I mean, I would lie if I said that as a business person, I'm, I'm not here to make money. Of course, it's, it's a business after all. But we do believe that there's a greater good to be achieved, that there's a bigger story, and just money alone isn't going to solve the problem. I, I did not catch the the name of the, the ICO advisor that you had mentioned. Ah, um, that was Jun Hasegawa. He's the CEO of Omisego. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to get your general outlook um, on the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Uh, we're obviously very... Uh, in very early stages of, of the industry as a whole. Um, and, and we've talked about a couple of things that, you know, a couple of viewpoints that you hold, but where do you see it heading in general over the next couple of years? 
Wow. Mm. I think the most obvious thing, of course, everyone knows is the, the, the ICO space is, uh, is maturing. What we're likely to see, though, is that um, we'll see one, more regulation, for sure. Uh, I don't necessarily, necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think that's actually, it could work well if there's more regulation. But I think it really depends on the nature of the regulation and how deep the regulation goes. Uh, we'll also see better projects. Um, if you start, I've, I've, what I, I hope to see are more projects that impact how do I put this? Uh, what I'd like to see are more projects that impact real-world activities for the other 90%. Um, as, as I mentioned before about being mundane, I think, I think one challenge right now really for, for ICO projects, for blockchain projects really, is to, to find that use case that impacts the rest of the world. That the model we've got, we create another cryptocurrency, another value protocol, we create yet another uh, decentralized system for crypto tracking or something. While, while these are all interesting and good projects, you realize that the impact they have is, is limited. It impacts a very crypto-aware crowd uh, or market. But I think the rest of the world needs to realize the benefits. Um, and ironically, very, very ironically, if you look at what's happening in blockchain right now, it's some of the bigger companies in their efforts to try to catch up to a new technology that are executing blockchain solutions. And these are centralized businesses uh, who are going to be using blockchain. And what's going to happen is that people will start real understanding or relating blockchain to these big businesses instead. So I think the opportunity is there for a lot of smaller startups to actually implement blockchain for the masses. I think that's going to be very, very key. Um, beyond that, I think what we're going to see also is that um, I think we're going to see a lot more volume, a lot more liquidity into the market because a lot more the institutional players are coming in. We know the VCs are coming in. We know the big banks are coming in. Uh, and interestingly enough, we've been talking to we invited to talk to a couple of the sort of the big corporates who are looking to take a position within blockchain itself and, and do projects and perhaps even to launch the currency. Um, we don't always agree with every single business model, to be honest, but it is what it is. That's what makes the whole ecosystem so great, to be honest. Um, it's about democracy, right? We, we, we can't always choose or say who's good or who isn't. A democracy, a good democracy, it's all-inclusive, uh, regardless of, of your business model or the type of business or your, your currency itself, right? So this is what's wonderful about it. We'll see a lot more diversity, definitely a lot more growth. You made some very interesting points there, Martin. Uh, any, any last comments from your end? Uh, what social media platforms can people follow you and Electrify on? I know you mentioned Telegram. Is that the best place to, to follow Electrify's developments? Yeah, Electrify's uh, developments, really, we report it um, the most on Telegram. It's our strongest community right now. Um, we're looking to, of course, add more information on things like Facebook and so on. But even on Facebook, we found that it's not the best uh, platform for, for engagement. It's great for a lot of one-to-one -one conversations. Uh, but again, it's a bit disparate. Um, so the big mass group conversations is on Telegram. We've got some great community managers. We're looking to bolster that as well. Uh, but Telegram really is it. 
uh, we'll make announcements also on Reddit on occasion, as well as on Twitter and on Facebook. Okay, great. Uh, on that note, let's end this uh, interview. Thank you so much for taking the time out from your busy schedule to come speak with us. Uh, it, it, was, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. No worries. Happy to. Thank you very much. And, and good luck uh, with, Thank uh, you. Thank you. You know, with, with Electrify going forward. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.